Thanks for downloading this Centre for the History of Medicine in Ireland podcast. For more information on the centre, go to ucd.ie forward slash history forward slash chomi. In this episode, a recording from the medical training, student experience and the transmission of knowledge circa 1800 to 2014 symposium, which took place in the UCD Humanities Institute in October 2014. The symposium was organised by Laura Kelly of University College Dublin and was generously supported by the Irish Research Council and the Wellcome Trust. Podcasting was by Real Smart Media. In this episode, a recording from Panel 4, Medical Education in Colonial Contexts. The paper, This Was to Me an Adventure, Medicine on the Missions, The Dual Training of Medical Missionaries, 1940-1960, was given by Ailish Veal of Trinity College Dublin. The Medical Missionaries of Mary is an Irish congregation of medical and nursing nuns founded in 1936 by Mother Mary Martin. From the very beginning, Mother Mary hoped to recruit nurses and doctors to tend to the mother and child in pagan lands. Issues quickly arose, however, over how to properly integrate a religious vocation that demanded obedience, subservience and humility with a medical profession that demanded decisiveness, independence and authority. One way of managing these contradictory claims was through a strict religious and medical training. Using missionary magazines, oral history and personal letters, this paper will examine the unique experience of Irish Catholic nuns who trained as doctors in the mid-20th century. It will first examine some of the apprehensions surrounding the idea of Catholic nuns practicing medicine and the safeguards that were put in place in order to overcome these fears. The second part of this paper will explore how the sisters experienced student life and will briefly consider whether their dual training adequately prepared them for life on the missions. So prior to 1936, Catholic nuns were forbidden by canon law from practicing medicine and midwifery, as these were deemed a threat to their vows of chastity and obedience. Only after a lengthy campaign of propaganda and action by a number of pioneer women doctors and male and female religious was this canon law rule amended. A decree issued by Propaganda Fide in 1936 offered some guidelines as to how this new role could be integrated into religious life. It stated, for example, that religious sisters wishing to engage in nursing or medical work were to gain the most up-to-date medical education from Catholic universities and hospitals. In addition to gaining medical expertise, they were also to receive a special spiritual training. The decree emphasized that sisters were to be strengthened and safeguarded by special helps, as their medical work, their medical work involved more than just relieving, uh, the relieving of bodily pain, they were also preparing the soul for the grace of redemption. Both the public and the Catholic hierarchy continued to feel uneasy at the idea of nuns actively working as midwives and obstetricians. Part of this unease stemmed from Catholic imaginings of the female maternal body. Contact with this supposedly impure body was seen as particularly threatening for religious women. Their purity and chastity was sacred but fragile. The reluctance of the Irish Catholic hierarchy to accept this idea of medical nuns can be seen in the difficulties encountered by Mother Mary in the foundation of the Medical Missionaries of Mary. In order to be formally founded as a congregation, Mother Mary had to first find an Irish bishop willing to accept this new form of religious society into his diocese. Here she met with widespread resistance from Irish bishops. The Bishop of Cork, for example, refused on the ground that the people of his diocese would not be comfortable with female religious practicing midwifery. Giving a further indication as to the problematic nature of maternity medicine in particular, 
Mother, Mart Mother Martin was advised to omit any reference to maternity in her letters to the hierarchy, using instead a more general term uh, such as medicine. A second concern um, was the impact medical work would have on the structures of religious life. By its nature, medical work uh, necessitated flexibility and independence. These qualities um, were very much at odds with a nun's vocation, which demanded adherence to a strict spiritual timetable, obedience to religious superiors, and community life. This was an issue that Mother Mary acknowledged in her early vision of the congregation. Her advisor, Father Kelly, wrote in 1933, the main difficulty will be to strike the balance between the doctor and the religious, between professional efficiency and interior life, between work and prayer. A very thorough training will be necessary to give the interior formation. A strong spiritual foundation was therefore necessary in order to ensure that the medical sisters would have the strength to resist temptations and to fulfill their spiritual obligations at a later time. This interior formation was to be developed through the congregation's novitiate, located in the mother house in Drogheda. Um, through a series of symbolic rituals to be performed and perfected, as well as mental, spiritual and physical tasks, novices were expected to discard their secular selves and adopt a new religious identity. A unique feature of the medical missionaries of Mary was the emphasis on the sisters maintaining a certain degree of individuality, as was deemed necessary for the best practice of their medical profession. The novitiate house uh, was a distinct space where access and communication with externs was strictly limited. The first year was called a canonical year, and novices were expected to dedicate themselves exclusively to their interior selves. By focusing on their soul, the novices were gaining mastery over the self. This was of vital importance to their future adherence to their religious vows. It was also of particular significance uh, to their work as medical missionaries. By submitting themselves to strict rituals and prohibitions and dedicating themselves to assiduous prayer, the novices learned to regulate their interior thoughts and actions. Furthermore, by studying their constitutions, Catholic doctrine and church history, they were to familiarize themselves with the particular identity of the congregation, as well as the future rules and regulations by which they were to live their lives. So once the sisters had completed this first stage of their training, they were permitted to pursue their professional formation. An, ar an article entitled Nigeria Calling for Irish Doctors, published in a Jesuit magazine in 1943, gives some indication as to how these medical sisters were perceived in comparison to secular students. Edward Lean, a spirit and father linked to the Irish missionary cause, explained that since the nun does not undertake medical studies either for the purpose of gaining a livelihood or out of pure scientific interest in medicine, her approach to her work must be of a radically different kind from that of her fellow <coughs> students. He further elaborated, the sisters are chosen for the medical course, not simply because they have any taste or inclination for such studies, but simply because they are judged sufficiently talented to be able to pursue them successfully. This attitude further reflected anxieties surrounding the admission of religious sisters to medical degrees. In addition to the supposed threat opposed to their vows, it was feared that a medical career was too all-consuming to be successfully balanced with a religious vocation. Thus, any professional ambitions had to be downplayed. Medicine was merely a tool to be used for greater religious purposes. The reality was, in fact, more complex. Indeed, some sisters entered without a specific profession in mind, happy to pursue whatever career uh, their, superior, their superiors wished. Others, however, entered with the specific intention of practicing medicine, 
Their professional interest came first, and only later had they considered a medical missionary vocation. The first sister to train as a doctor after joining the congregation was named Sister M. Chambers. She entered in 1937 and qualified as a doctor from UCD in 1947. Upon her graduation, she was immediately sent out to Nigeria, where she had a long and fruitful career in the area of leprosy control. An article written by Sister um, Chambers for an anniversary booklet published the year after her graduation from UCD opened with the statement, From the earliest years, medicine has captivated me. She further confessed, The thought of being a religious had never entered my mind, but like all schoolgirls, I was interested in everything new. This was to me an adventure, medicine on the missions. For her, therefore, these two worlds were far from incompatible, and in combination they offered the adventure and opportunity that sparked the interest of an 18-year-old schoolgirl. She further elaborated on her time as a medical student, an account that largely supports Lean's earlier description of the peculiar position of the student's sister. She explained, The life of the student is gay and carefree. For the religious student, the mental outlook is different. She uses college both as a means of acquiring the necessary knowledge to become a doctor, but also as a training for the missions. She then explained that medical, mis- that a med- uh, that medical missionary is a secular in all that relates to medicine. There are no exceptions or privileges. During her years of medical training, she is forming herself to be a true missionary, to combine the Martha and the Mary. So Sister M. Chambers' description acknowledged the different outlook of a religious student. However, contrary to Lean's description, she described an equal interest in medicine and religion. She challenged the notion that women religious were not interested in scientific knowledge and that their experience and achievements were completely removed from that of their fellow secular students. Her narrative combined the seemingly irreconcilable identities of secular medical student and religious medical student, favouring instead a medical missionary identity that combined the two, the Martha and the Mary. Other narratives confirm this dual interest in medicine and religion. The Congregation's magazine published a series of diary entries written by sister medical students. Um, Here's some pictures of these entries. These articles were generally light in tone, Uh, and focused on the medical knowledge acquired by the sisters and their experiences of student life. They featured lengthy descriptions of lectures, dissections, anatomy and diseases. One sister student wrote an account of her experience entering her third year, explaining, Third third medical sees us elated with our our first hospital experience, new stethoscopes, percussions, white coats, masks, the theatre and the privilege of examining patients. We are going to be doctors. In these narratives, the sisters showed pride and interest in their medical education, eager to develop their professional identity. However, these entries inevitably ended with a reminder of the spiritual application of this identity. The sisters uh, cycled to and from the university in order to attend their lectures. And you can see a picture of them, a very good picture here. Um, this was a rather daring and modern activity for religious women, further reflecting the forward-looking nature of the medical missionaries of Mary. These bikes featured heavily within oral and written sources in relation to student life in Rosemount, uh, the congregation's house of studies in Dublin. And although this isn't something I've properly explored, I think it's significant that the bicycles only featured in reference to the, students, uh, to the sisters' student days perhaps representing some form of link or transition between the secular university and the religious sphere. 
Indeed, whilst in the university the hospital sisters were permitted to act as secular students, in the House of Studies they were once again subject to the rules and regulations of religious life. The 1936 decree uh, stipulated that the candidates must live in a religious house where they may have daily spiritual help and safeguards. In 1937, Mother Mary had gained permission to open a house of studies in the Diocese of Dublin in Booterstown. This is the house. Um, Within the house of studies, the sisters were strictly supervised by a house superior. They had an oratory and were expected to do 15 minutes mental prayer and 15 minutes spiritual reading daily. These um, periods of prayer were usually much longer and in this case were amended to suit the the student sister's academic timetable. In addition to the rules and regulations um, of their congregation, the sisters were also under the strict supervision of the archbishop, in this case the rather divisive Archbishop McQuaid of Dublin. The archbishop stipulated that the sisters who attended lectures and training in Dublin were permitted to, ha- to reside in the House of Studies for the duration of their studies only. Similar to other religious congregations operating in Dublin at this time, they were not permitted to wear their habit to lectures and needed the express permission of the archbishop to attend lectures after 8pm. These last two stipulations concerning the habit and evening lectures were particularly contentious and feature heavily within the records. More than simply reflecting apprehensions surrounding nuns practicing medicine, they reflect the gendered power dynamics that existed between female religious congregations and male hierarchies. In 1941, the Mother Superior of the Holy Rosary Sisters, another missionary congregation um, in Dublin, requested a sister be permitted to attend an evening lecture in Hollis Street Hospital. She explained the sisters should be crossing the city at about 8 p.m., the Archbishop granted the permission under the condition that the sister in question walk straight from the hospital to the corner of Leeson Street and uh, catch the 11 bus. <laughs> he explained that the number 11 bus should bring her home direct. It is not advisable that nuns should walk around to the streets at that hour. A similar request from, uh, again, the Holy Rosary Sisters pertained to the habit In spite of the fact that the Vatican decree had specified that sisters should wear appropriate lay dress during their lectures, the Mother General was concerned that the sisters attending the medical faculty be permitted to retain the full habit during their lectures. She wrote that their previous experience of having five sisters dressed as seculars doing a course in obstetrics in Hollis Street Hospital made her anxious to secure the privilege and and protection of the holy habit for those who would undertake the long medical course. The religious habit was a physical indicator of the sisters' observance of their vows of chastity, poverty, and obedience. As this request illustrates, the habit was also a protective shield that would safeguard the sisters from the the temptations inherent in a medical education. This, of course, echoed broader anxieties over medical co-education. The indelicacy of certain medical lectures and demonstrations and the lengthy association with male students were seen as particularly threatening. Although similarly concerned with preserving the chastity and obedience of the sisters, the Archbishop declined the request, claiming it was quite inadvisable. His concern was the adherence to Vatican instructions and the indecency of nuns in full habits studying medicine. So upon graduation, the sisters would then return to their mother house in Drogheda, where they would complete their internship year in the congregation's hospital. 
Soon thereafter, they were assigned to the missions, where more often than not, they were expected to take on a senior role in a hospital. Both oral and written accounts confirm that the sister doctors were completely overwhelmed by this new role. In many cases, they were confronted with diseases, surgical procedures, and hospital conditions that they had never before encountered. One sister explained, My missionary experience is only that of a month, but in that short period, I have learned to treat um, the patient rather than the disease. For the final, it was the thing to know the new treatment, but out here, it is as well to know the old. The The new may not be practical. Another sister commented on the difficulty in diagnosis due to the fact that patients in remote areas were often living on the verge of malnutrition with multiple deficiencies resulting in multiple diseases. She stated, In our college days, we were warned, never never diagnose double pathology. That statement could be reversed in our experience. In their spiritual life, they struggled also. Despite the safeguards that had been put in place through their spiritual training, the sisters found life on the missions challenging on a number of levels. Difficult living and working conditions, the harsh climate and chronic understaffing often led to conflict and tension in the hospital and the convent. Whereas in theory the sisters' dual training was supposed to adequately prepare them for this dual vocation, in in the reality of the missions, sister doctors found it exceedingly difficult to balance religion and medicine. For one sister doctor working as a medical officer in charge in Nigeria in 1953, this led to anxiety and emotional turmoil. She came to doubt the possibility of these two roles ever being compatible. She finally admitted she was considering leaving the congregation and instead wished to work as an obstetrician in the Ibadan University Hospital in Nigeria. Although she wished to work as a doctor and in a missionary context, she no longer felt that this could be reconciled with the restrictive life of a Catholic nun. To conclude, um, the idea of nuns practicing medicine in the early 20th century was a novelty. Once the role had been legitimized to the Catholic hierarchy and the lay population, it was necessary to devise a thorough training that would successfully merge religious and medical identities. The first step towards this dual vocation was to be achieved through a strong spiritual foundation. Through their time in the Catholic novitiate, the sisters were to develop safeguards and techniques to regulate their interior selves. It was hoped that this would facilitate the the best practice of their medical profession. The sisters' experience of student life was slightly removed from that of their fellow secular students. Whilst in the hospital and lecture hall they were to dress and behave as seculars, in their house of studies they were once again religious sisters. It was hoped that this dual formation would properly equip the sister doctor for life on the missions. As I have briefly mentioned in the final section of this paper, this was not entirely the case. In both their medical practice and their religious life, the sisters encountered difficulties on the missions. In this respect, their real medical missionary training only really began within the missionary context. Thank you.